This week on the Mocha Live podcast, Coborn and I are back at long last after a couple of weeks away, and we're talking ethics, moral responsibilities, topics that honestly tend to be tricky in a space where anonymity and grifting and clandestine VC backing are unfortunately part of the course. This podcast is definitely not meant to be an indictment of any individual, nor is it meant to be an indictment of anyone's success. It's more a conversation about what we owe each other when we consider that it's from each other that we're able to achieve success in the first place. I'll let the rest of the pod speak for itself. One last note, late in the pod, Colburn and I start talking about how unique it is that crypto art allows us an opportunity to be exposed to so much art every day in a place we reliably spend time in. Only in these crypto art spheres am I being exposed to artistry, I say. And I ask that you keep that in mind as a through line throughout this podcast. Because in the aftermath of recording it, that's the idea that I can't quite shake. That no matter how hard things are or will be, crypto art provides us a way to be surrounded by artistry for at least a little while whenever we want. And that's a really rare thing. And so yes, I think we have a responsibility to protect crypto art at all costs. And on that note... The Mocha Live Podcast. Good evening, everybody. It is 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on a Wednesday afternoon. I guess Wednesday evening. It's uh, May 17th. My name is Max Cohen. I'm the lead writer for the Museum of Crypto Art. This is the Mocha Live podcast. And joining me uh, for the first time in a couple of weeks, we're happy to have him back. My guy, my main man, Colborn Bell, founder of the Museum of Crypto Art. What's up, dude? How are you? I am so happy to be back. I uh, have actually really been missing these. These help me synthesize. These help me digest. These help me uh, get some things into perspective. And I'm really excited about this week's topic. Yeah, me too. We've had a bevy of wonderful guests, but there's nothing like the two uh, originators of the podcast being back in the saddle. And we do have a whopper of a topic tonight. We're going to talk about ethics and morals, which is something I think we hint on in a lot of podcasts. We talk about it almost as much as we talk about the metaverse. But this is a space that's really kind of odd and still developing. And so there are all these issues of like morals and ethics in terms of how people should act and how people should, I don't know, treat success specifically. So the reason that this topic was on my mind, the reason we're going to go ahead with it is based on um, Alpha Centauri Kid last week sold uh, 48 one of one artworks for like $1.4 million, right? His uh, piano theme piece is called Broken Keys, uh, really kind of monumental success and something, especially in this like extended bear market, we just haven't seen that much like economic success happen so rapidly, or at least it's few and far between. So it's totally worth celebrating because the works are just, you know, classically this guy and this artist and um we always love to see artists succeed but i think that there's an interesting question here about how artists when they achieve a monumental success should act after making that success or having that success right do artists have a moral or categorical imperative to act a certain way i'm parroting the words from uh, you know an anonymous individual who had spoken to me about uh the artist Pac, um and how they dropped merge a couple years ago uh, which was like, I think it was an open edition, right? An open edition of uh, 3D artworks, but they were bought in such high volume uh, that $91 million total was basically sucked out of the crypto art space um, to this individual. And from what I understand, there was not a ton of reintegration of those funds back into crypto art. So 
I don't think that there's any specific way of jumping into this topic, but this is a difficult space, I think, in because of its size, um, how small it is and how small its principles are, the well-known degeneracy that both travels within it and is just at its edges, uh, the general difficulty of bear markets, the constant claims of, you know, we're all going to make it and how we're all a community and support the artists by influencers. And then the obvious like VC ish tendencies of a lot of like the economic heavyweights here. But my question, I guess, to start us off is like, do artists have a responsibility to cap their own success or rather to reinvest their success back in the ecosystem that, you know, allowed them to have that success in the first place? Colborn, what do you think? Capping success, I don't really want to talk about, right? But I do think in nascent industries, people have a responsibility to reinvest back in the industry, right? It doesn't, you know, if you are uh, like the beneficiary of something, I think how you give back and support others and people within it is really the resiliency of the system. Uh, And that's what made it so strong and incredible to begin with. Right. And then you you saw continued instances of people pulling out and there was kind of like a mass shift in viewpoints or whatever it was. It just was not a shared similar ethos. And I think that is really why the space is suffering right now. Mm -hmm. Right. Because we're having we're having like two different experiences and it's not uh, it's it's not as like. I don't even want to say it was like an egalitarian or it was a fair system before, but it, it it was more interconnected and more interdependent and people were really looking out for people. Now maybe it's just so big that everybody kind of feels like strangers. So there is more of this, like, I don't, I, I don't know you. So I'm just going to take care of myself thing. Yeah. I heard. And I, I don't, I maybe cap capping success is the wrong way to put it, but I think you have to really be like untethered from what's happening in this ecosystem to not realize that like the suffering of institutions, I know like X, Escher XYZ just shut down a couple of days ago or announced they were shutting down. Like things are faltering, right? Like institutions that shouldn't be faltering are faltering. And um, artists are, even if they're not like leaving the space, they're quite obviously having a difficult time coping. So look, I will say on, on the like responsibility to cap success, I have never really been of the opinion that like artists should be like protecting supply to ensure value. Uh, I have not particularly seen anybody manage an exponential rise very well. And I think the reverse of that when, when momentum stalls is just to kind of step out completely. Um, Mm -hmm. so there have been people that have been like incredible catalysts of momentum, but once they, they hit that escape velocity, well, there's nothing and nobody left to really like keep or protect or ensure that like market value is held. Uh, and you know, on the other side of it, we've seen some free falls as well. Yes, certainly. But I think that even, you know, cause I, I think what happens is when you reach this exit velocity, right? You end up with a career that looks strangely similar to the exact thing that the space was kind of built to challenge, right? You end up in a space that is like rife with middlemen, rife with people trying to like make a buck off of you, right? No artist I think wants that, right? All artists want to create at least with some kind of freedom, right? So whether you have reached that exit velocity or whether you are still kind of just coming into the space, getting your feet wet and kind of looking around at all of the 
various mechanisms that are newly available to you. You're looking for some kind of freedom in your art, right? That's why you enjoy selling your art on a manifold contract without needing a middleman. That's why you enjoy having this money go straight to you so that you can you know, not be paying 10% to an agent, 10% to a manager and 10% to a gallerist and being left with so little, right? And that was the whole idea of royalties in the first place was that money was remaining in the ecosystem, even when, you know, a high sale might threaten to take some of it out. 10% would go back to the artists who would be able to at least keep it in the ecosystem to either create work or to buy other work. I, I think about it a lot, like the way I've been conceptualizing it is like tax dollars, how you know, people rage against high property taxes, but then you explain to them that high property taxes are going to be used to fund like education locally and like maybe a bit further than that. And because you have better education, you'll have better jobs and you'll have more educated populace and that'll lead to like less crime and all these other kind of like high yield long-term investment results. And so the benefits of taking that money and trickling it around the ecosystem is that the entire ecosystem is uplifted and so are you. Yeah. I mean, I want to go back and say, like, are you really independent when A16 is is the one that is like the seed money in that manifold contract? Right. Mm -hmm. What does it mean when like VC money is intermingled with sovereignty? Right. And they're the ones who might be kind of like guiding and directing where this goes. Like, is that independence? Not really. It's it's a certainly useful tool step in like their toolkit in stepping away from the idea that everything needs to be like concentrated in a marketplace and that the artist can be its own storefront. But I don't want to like say that is the end goal of independence. Well, and I, but I think that like, that's an important point, right? I, I guess I, I am, I think you and I are well noted as being quite reflective on like the downstream effects of some of these decisions that perhaps other people aren't being reflecting, aren't reflecting on. But when, if you're VC backed and let's say you have a, a large sale that is backed by a VC, you're like, you're not achieving anything, right? You are basically, you're looking at short-term success and not reinvesting back into the mechanisms that might allow you to achieve more longer-term success, right? The people who are the most successful in this space, bar none, are the people with the best connections, right? Not the best connections to collectors, but the people who have, you know, the highest quality relationships, friendships, you know, the artists. I think that's why we always talk about artists who have been here for a while, um, who are constantly able to sell work because it's, oftentimes selling work to other artists who they have really good relationships with. As I've spoken to all these collectors over the course of many weeks, one thing that keeps coming up is that how important the personal relationships are between artists and collectors. Collectors do have favorites, but not necessarily in the line of VCs who are just looking to make a buck, but in terms of people who the collectors really um, just really vibe with, really want to see achieve some kind of success, really want to see stick around for some, you know, moment where perhaps everything's a little bit easier. I mean, that was, that was the signal of the artistry, right? Is that me having no idea like what, uh, you know, digital techniques are being used, what, what digital mastery looks like, right? Like wh who are the artists that I like, what are they buying and who are they buying it from? Right. Mm -hmm. When the market became the signal as to what everybody was buying then suddenly everything was lost because it just became a game about pouring the most capital in, right? So these things are, are self-fulfilling until they're kind of not, right? Until mm -hmm. somebody like comes along and questions like, why did, why was this much money paid for this, right? Why was like, for example, Three Arrows Capital taking a risk on this? What does it mean when 
you know, uh, who was the other guy? Like Kevin Rose, when Kevin Rose got mm -hmm. hacked and then suddenly has to liquidate everything. Like, what is this? How are they picking winners? Winners. I don't know. You know, that was always very strange to me is that a lot of the like original people who would put in the time and built their own like market and built their own collectors. There was this second wave and they just got like totally overlooked. Mm -hmm. um, and there was like a totally separate market built here that had nothing to do with like what was organic and natural and had been occurring for a very long time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, before I ask like an, or, you know, go on another whole um, spiel, I'm curious, like, what do you think are the mechanisms that have allowed artists to even like reach the exit velocity that we were talking about earlier? That success was built on the back of something. What do you think it was built on the back of? I think it's largely about orchestration and like building your community before you like, kind of share and release the the work yeah yeah of course right i don't i'm you know i am confounded daily by the things generally that like go viral right uh -huh. by the projects that go viral you know this is all very confusing to me so i i, I and i'm sure a lot of people agree that like money cannot money might be like the determinant of the art in the now Right. Mm -hmm. But I don't think a lot of the time that art in the now is the art that persists. Definitely. Right. So, you know, when people when we talk about like limiting your what did you say? Potential capping the, you know. Yeah, I, but that was like I, I think that was a mismanagement of verbiage. <laughs> so, but, but I mean, I think uh, I think it's an interesting question because either you are searching for escape velocity and you want your 15 minutes of fame knowing that there really is nowhere to go we've talked about before when the peak is sotheby's and christie's well that is like nowhere that any traditional artist would ever want to be yeah people go there by because they have to right no artists want to sell with these mechanisms but out in the world you uh, from what i understand you really don't have many options but auction houses but gallerists but middlemen but you know like white glove services like right but it almost feels like to enter the art world that you need a sale there right you need something to validate and i cannot tell if this is all the same like strategic implementation to like catch the eyes of potential future art collectors and say, here is a data point that pertains to this person. And now you can go back because like what is transparent and on chain doesn't actually really matter. Um, so I, I, it's, it's like, do you want to commit to a like lifetime of sustainability and creativity, or do you want those 15 minutes and you want to hit that escape velocity knowing that there is no there, there, there is no end to this. You know, I, I was talking to uh maybe talking is not the right word. I was arguing with my father the other day. Um, he was making a point because uh, we were talking about crypto regulation. I was talking about, I don't know what's going to happen in the upcoming U S presidential elections. You know, it seems like it's a pretty scary time for just crypto in general as like the object of regulatory scrutiny. And he was saying, well, you know, let's say all the blockchains were to just like, let's say they were to vanish, right? Well, digital artists would be able to sell their art elsewhere. And I said like, Yes, in theory, but of course not, because what we have here, the grand mechanism is this community of people who want to look at, buy, sell art, create marketplaces and mechanisms for buying and selling art and sharing art, all of these things that exist in this 
organic community, right? And all of this success, right? Even if you are going to end up with this exit velocity at a Christie's or Sotheby's, even if you're going to achieve that monumental success the way, say, like Beeple has and kind of like leave the space, you're still building that on the backs of the people who are in the know earlier. Again, I don't want to I, I know nothing about the finances of any given person, right? But like Alpha Centauri Kid making $1.4 million, I have no idea where that money came from, whether it was organic or whether it wasn't. But like that person has been building within this community. That person has been you know, active within this community for quite a while um, and the, would not have been able to achieve that success without the community at least propping them up. And someone like Beeple, who achieves a $69 million sale and totally leaves the stratosphere, still needs people to pay attention at first. And where do they pay attention? They pay attention within this like quagmire of interest that has been kind of fomented in crypto art, right? So that community itself is the mechanism by which people are you know, being propelled upwards. Whether they leave the community afterwards or not is almost besides the point because it's the community itself that got them to that point. And so I would think that you have a responsibility to keep that community going because you owe your success to them. You know, at least like mention them in the, you know, award mm-hmm. speech. You know what I mean? I, uh, you know, I think there's a lot <laughs> of, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of things that could be said. This is not a very, uh, this is not a space that's filled with like a lot of gratitude. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's not really anymore a space that's filled with a lot of kinship. Um, and, you know, maybe this, this, you know, I can still go to like places and and like be with Dada, for example, right? And that mm-hmm. is about that, right? But there was a market shift, and I don't think that. And you know, now now we exist in like these two parallel worlds where there's an incredibly loving community of supportive people that want to promote the artistry and like. Uh, you know, care for one another and this idea that there are new and novel ways of like commerce and exchange and economics and support. And this is like the powerful thing that uh, crypto was doing. And then there's also like a very dark self-serving, like, you know, post-capitalist launch pad. I think, <laughs> you know, I think like what happened with Ben.eth is a very good example. I think like, kind of what happens with meme coins is a very good example like Rhett doing whatever turbo toad is that's like an incredibly genuine artist that you know was in an experiment and you know suddenly it goes viral and then perhaps maybe you're like in way over your head and suddenly like the project that was a joke is no end you know that's kind mm-hmm. of also the you know the story of of the museum right is like how is something that is like supposed to be a joke, elevated and lifted, right? This idea of crypto art, this idea of digital art, NFTs and the blockchain, something that is just like derided, derided, derided. Suddenly it flips the power structure and then like all the attention is there only for it to like, you know, and will it recover? Nobody knows. Here we are kind of on the other side, very deep. And, you know, who is going to like lead us out what what will stick what will change it's i mean i think we need like i i think these changes come from the top right and by top i mean very clearly like the high earners of this community right they're just i think it is imperative and maybe my point is just as simply that it's imperative that the people who are succeeding within this community are keeping the community 
like alive. I mean, if right? they care, maybe they just don't care. But I guess my question is how can, and maybe this is the exact point of the moral and ethic. Like, how do you not have an ethical responsibility to care about the thing from whence you got your start in the first place? Otherwise, like, it's just, it's too callous for me to believe, especially from artists who are, by the nature of the work they do, reflective and self analytical and, you know, aware of their surroundings and, and, and deeply embedded in context. Right. I like, I don't think that, I think you have to consciously turn away from, that if you're going to turn away from it um because i think at a certain point you know it's like even if you're grifting people right uh, you get to this kind of stockholm syndrome right it's like um undercover cops you know embedded in like drug sting rings will become really attached to the people who they're undercovering upon um like how can that not infect you inflect you right these relationships that you're going to naturally make even if you're in it for totally your own gain and again i don't really have specific examples you brought up people when we were talking before the show i'm curious what your thoughts on on how people kind of handled his success are i don't know man that was a a pregnant inhale yeah i don't i don't know i don't really have much of a comment there like it it wouldn't have been how i would have done it but i don't know maybe you know i i don't think there was much agenda there i think it was kind of again i think it was kind of a joke gone bad right uh and you know people like kind of took it too far because mm-hmm. you know there were a lot of things promised that might not have been delivered there was a lot of like weird associations made a lot of like you know attachment to the thing and you know then the question becomes like is and was it ever art what is it performance art is is like anything actually real and substantive on on Um, a practical level though people made a shitload of money and then stopped minting yeah i mean there was supposed to be like a continual seasons on nifty gateway right like that these things would be released and then you know, I would imagine somebody got in, you know, their ear and said, hey, like, this is probably not a good idea. You don't like you can't like sell something for whatever, $69 million, and another thing for $30 million. And then there's not really demand that's going to continue to support. But buying. I think this is this is what I mean by like capping success, right? Or at least being like aware of one success, right? People make $70 million on an artwork. And if he were to release an artwork a month, one artwork a year, right? Or any kind of addition, anything, it would take all the attention. It would take a ton of liquidity, right? It would all veer into the giant whirlpool that is people, but there's really no way outside of buying on secondary that I am aware of to support that artist or to get a piece of that artist at this point, right? That itself is a kind of practical choice, right? If he just wants endless money, he can have endless money. No, but I mean, even we, you saw demand soften so quickly, you know, it was like, I think whatever the, the Christie's Maps auction, like, you know, different, different, there was just, I don't know, you know, it's these things are about like moments in time. Let, let me ask you another question. I'm, I'm curious about your opinion on, um, you know, I think the nature of how we actually like buy and sell this artwork is pretty singular by nature, um, right? You have a public auction for an artwork by one artist, uh, like, you know, people bid on it. Each bid gets kind of blown out which is i think important and necessary for the marketing of the piece but like this is this is the only way we have is like here's an artwork everybody buys it and it goes to one person and then you know that's the end of things i'm wondering if there are any other models of 
creating, buying, selling artwork that you're aware of that might say like allow big name artists to not inherently sap liquidity from the space? Like maybe some kind of more egalitarian marketplace model um, instead of something that is essentially hyper-capitalist. I, I mean, look, I think, I think Beeple was right to like list those original pieces at $1, mm-hmm. right? Like the whole point is now that we have, we don't have to depend on the secondary markets, right? Mm-hmm. And there is a carry on effect of like social capital and people moving these things and people talking about these things. And Hey, like, you know, I just made 300 bucks in like 20 minutes of holding this thing. Like, you know, that carries its own momentum and, I think the innovation here is not in the ability to like sell one of one art on the internet, but on the effect that like digital distribution can have. Um, and I think like, if this is really going to touch, you know, Nifty Gateway wants a billion people, right. If this is really going to touch a billion people's lives, well, it's not going to be on Ethereum. Right. And the people who are going to become masters of the space are going to be the people that actually embrace like abundance and distribution. Right. How do you get all of your work, all of this work that you create into the hands of as many people as possible? Like, how do you become a global like like rock stars were? You know, that was always the thing is that the crypto artists are going to become rock stars because these are rails of distribution. But do you think that's even possible with like visual art itself? The nature of a visual art asset is that it is rare. Right. You know, it's not like I think it's so much easier for I, I disagree. I disagree. I think I think we're moving away from this idea of scarcity in art into the idea that art can be abundant and enjoyed. Right. This is literally like tearing down the walls um, to, to let more people in and to have access. So, like, what is the best way to let people have access? Well, you know, that is to like freely and abundantly share but it's not a like, it's, it's not like a like or a retweet of caring about something. It's actually like owning a token that is associated with that, right? So the people that can encourage 10,000, 100,000 people to get into like the long tail of their success, that, that is, that's the distribution. That's what excites me. This isn't really about like selling one of one pieces because then you end up with a group of like 40 collectors and, you know, it gets, it gets stale, right? Well, who's, things- who's come closest to that model, right? Who, who do you think is like an exemplar of having that long tail of success? I don't know. I mean, I think fuck render was pretty innovative in the beginning with like that. Yeah. Right. The, the avatars and the, you know, the additions and like distribute, 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 distribute. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been out of the market for a while. So it's like, it's it's hard to say. I don't find it particularly enjoyable or as interesting as I once did. Sure. Uh, I think like I think it's kind of a broken model, and I'm glad to have been there to help like bootstrap it. But it's not the end goal, and I don't see enough people building like interesting, powerful tools that are actually like leveraging the technology or have any sort of like forward vision for what this can mean for artists. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, like, what are you, can you identify like a thing or two that is lacking, right? That you are, have identified that you want to change? I just think, I just think everything falls into like a web 2.1 and not a web 3.0. Right. So everything that is getting like bootstraps, like the whole idea was that we could have some sort of exponential thinking and advancement around the way we're like interacting and engaging 
with each other online, right? And that we're moving into these visual languages that can be held and distributed. And, you know, more importantly, like speak to philosophies. But, you know, as we quickly found out, Ethereum is incredibly expensive. I think the artifacts that have been minted on Ethereum become incredibly scarce as like the whole crypto thing happens. Um, you know, because in just curating and managing and, and it's, it's expensive, you know, and it's a lot of time. It's not like particularly the simplest UI UX to, to begin to move all these things around. So, but I don't, you know, I'm always, I'm much more interested in the artists that are preparing for whatever comes next than the artists that are kind of like capturing the here and now. I agree with you. I mean, I think that's why like, I feel such an affinity for like untitled XYZ and um, like Peen Poon and um, six and five and these other like metaverse architects, because there's, you know, the guys building HyperFi because there's no demand for that or very little demand for that right now. But there's such conviction from these artists who are building a bevy of artworks in a way that is innovative for a future that is a not guaranteed and b like, far from being here. I think maybe that's what so attracts me about the metaverse is that it had its moment in the sun. It's been given up upon just because it's been given up upon in as like a pop cultural artifact or as like a moneymaker today, you know, meta, whatever Facebook changed its stock ticker back. doesn't mean that the reasons for that technology existing don't become even more uh, necessary in the future. Right. But, and I, and I, I, keep thinking that this is circling around the original point, which is, does this space not have a responsibility to keep the space alive, right? Because these advancements are theoretically coming at some point, right? Like the blockchain does not go away. If MetaMask isn't going to create an intuitive user experience, somebody else will eventually. There are better wallets on Solana. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a Solana maxi. There are really unique and intuitive wallets, whether it's, uh, there's a wallet called Backpack, um, made by a company called Coral and it has applications within the wallet itself. It's really innovative. You can access videos and like claims and mints from within the wallet itself. And it's like, that is just one step up from MetaMask. And we've seen none of that innovation from that company itself. All these collectors I speak to are constantly saying that, you know, the display isn't there, right. From down from the, the price isn't there. You know, if you're going to buy a, a token frame, it doesn't have the right aspect ratio. We're failing in that sector, right? And we're failing in the uh, wallet sector because these wallets just don't make much sense. And the onboarding process does, doesn't make much sense. And we're failing like across the board in terms of the actual technology that is needed to get people to care about this stuff. And I think we are going to be shocked unnecessarily when some big actor, whether it's a Google and Apple or somebody we can't predict right now is going to come in with really user-friendly and sleek versions of all these things we have that are way 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 you know more approachable i mean I, I i wish they would but they're not going to right because they have their own everybody has their closed in walled garden right and people keep paying and there's like subscription fees that just get eaten up every month and you know these things are like avalanche just sitting on hordes of cash right no actual innovation is coming from these companies and it's actually scary to me how few builders there are in this space right mm -hmm. and it's interesting to me that like some of the best devs along the way that i've met don't want to like build product anymore they want to work with artists to build like out these artistic concepts so you know the the art is incredibly good and incredibly interesting but if there is no mechanic to like 
you know, get it out and or ensure its longevity or ensure that people are building like necessary infrastructure tools because it's not sexy, because it is incredibly difficult to like build. Like that's where we get this terrible reversion into like the degeneracy of meme coins and mm -hmm. like what is the lowest common denominator? Well, like let's make it as cheap as possible and mint it as an open edition and like you know, this is, this is, and then that behavior just encourages more. I cannot tell you how many people ask me, like, do I need to do an open edition when that was the, all the rage, mm -hmm. you know? So it, it, it sadly has become like, a, a just, uh, you know, well, let me ask you this a race to the bottom. Does a space like crypto art need to have artwork that sells to be at the best version of itself? And the reason I ask that is because I have a very, I think, unique position on crypto art because I'm a writer and I write all sorts of things that nobody sees uh, that <laughs> is never going to sell. Right. Short. I've said it on this podcast before. I'll say it again. I send a million short stories to The New Yorker, to The Atlantic, things I write that just like end up on the hard drive of my computer. Right. It's work that I have no real hope of selling. Right. And I'm not sure that that ethos exists in crypto art. I think, you know, we've talked before about how like everything gets minted, right? There's just an over minting problem. And that's going to lead to a problem of oversaturation just in terms of how many products there are, like physical assets that one could buy. Not every artwork needs to be minted. I was talking about this with EarthSample the other day uh, on the pod, how when EarthSample uses like AI in some works, like sometimes he posts them, sometimes he doesn't even go that far. And uh, Curran 4D, we've talked with him about how you know, he has a very strict code of what is worth his, uh, your background, natural synthetics is current 4D, a very strict um, metrics for what is going to be minted and what is just going to either languish away on his computer or, um, you know, be posted on Twitter. I know like Claire Silver does the same thing. And a lot of these AI, AI artists who are just kind of experimenting with various mechanisms, various like new stable diffusion models will just post pictures of stuff that they've created and not necessarily mint it. I, I have a couple of questions on this topic, but like, was this, and, and I, I, the reason I'm interested in this is because so many of these collectors I've spoken to recently have talked about how there was no expectation for a long time that anybody would actually make money here. So when did that happen? When did it happen that it was not just an expect, uh, not just a possibility that people would make money here, but that it was an expectation that you could, should, would make money. I mean, go look at go look at all the headlines after the people sale, right? This was like the gold rush. This was when like everybody was flooding in, doing everything they could. And then it became a competition, right? Because the collectors were few and the dollars were few. And then it just became like, take out as much as you can. Like people's lives were changed for sure. Like greatest wealth transfer to the creative class in history. But like the... The longer the euphoria, the greater the come down. Um, and we're going to have to build it like back up from scratch. And, and, you know, a lot of the things that, you know, were valuable at that time are never going to trade again. Mm -hmm. um, and people just aren't going to care because it's, because it's frankly, it's like for the most part, it's not very interesting. Yeah. Hey, listen, I, I'm not Mr. Doom and Gloom. I just there's such a an emphasis on selling artworks. Right. And making money for artworks and such a. From, it looks because like that's what moves algorithms. That's what like underlies everything, you know, that's what makes people feel important, right? That's like what we've been told makes art good, right? And, you know, the contemporary art world has come so far along in this journey that like 
everything is orchestrated in an artist's career. Like how much of an organic uplift around art is there in the art world today? I don't think there is any, right? From the people that I've talked to, it just doesn't exist, right? So there are, I have seen like organic rises of people and artists and uh, but there is an inherent volatility that makes like the exclusive selling of things to random strangers on the internet with that have the ability to do whatever they want with it at any time, extremely unpredictable. And it doesn't necessarily like align interests all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, so yeah. the best piece of advice is really to just like begin to know your collectors. And of course that's like really, really difficult. Um, but let's transcend like collectors for a second, right? Like I think for a lot of people like myself who I don't collect very much artwork, my experience with crypto art is the art that I get to see on a daily basis. I am just being exposed to so much art, right? Yeah. Whether I'm purchasing it or not, I am just seeing it. And there's just no other place in the world where that's happening, right? It's not happening out into the world where it's just advertisements. It's not happening you know, on TV where it's just advertisements, it's not happening in any other place where I'm being exposed to information, right? Only in this little crypto art Twitter space or these crypto art spheres and discords and things am I actually being exposed to artistry, right? We can talk about whether that's actually enriching, whether you know, what that does to the psyche to just be buffeted with art every day. Whenever I open my Twitter app, which is a lot because I'm a fucking addict, there's just art in front of me. And that itself is kind of a revolution, whether it's bought, being bought, whether it's being sold or not. And I think that that is the common denominator for a lot of people, that if you like dig down into the ethos of artists, they're really just psyched that their work is being seen. And if you dig down into the ethos of a lot of collectors, like um, Ann Spalter told me, like there's just it's just fun to collect crypto art, right? It's just fun to be here. It's fun to see all of this innovation. It's fun to see like Pepe memes that are referencing world events. Like you're just able to see mines splooshed out onto, you know, a, a platform where you are able to view them. Yeah. Yeah. And it is. And, I mean, there's, there's nowhere else quite like it. Right. I can't imagine a sphere sector, anything that is more interesting, more visually stimulating, more like mentally compelling. It's not like, you know, the six o'clock news, mm-hmm. right. It's its own drama with many sub dramas you can follow what you want you can you know and it's all happening in real time this is like great big experiment but it's I think, a revolutionary aesthetic experience just on its own yeah, yeah it is it is pretty like transcended and it is like making great distances among people feel much flatter and it's facilitating all sorts of wild conversations and you know, but and the way the art like is energetically being transmuted and shared and people are coming back and like connecting and real life is like changing is just incredible. Yeah, it truly is. And so I think, and I think that like artists, no matter what outcomes they eventually get, I can't imagine that many people are coming into crypto art and thinking that it will really be the channel to magnificent success. Maybe it'll be the channel to some success or maybe they're here by necessity because there is nowhere else to go. But I think you have to kind of have to be delusional. Yeah, at any stage of the game, you have to be delusional to think that your art is going to transcend everything else. And I'm not saying that because of the quality of any specific artist. But if anybody who creates art, me, you, any of these artists, filmmakers, screenwriters, musicians, if anybody actually thinks that there's 
they have a good chance of transcending the noise, right? Like that's not what this is about. If you get that break, if you get lucky and you do transcend, wonderful. But I, I don't know if anybody can actually, or I don't get how people can delude themselves into really thinking that it's going to happen for them, the strength of their work aside. Now, that just being the preface to, I would have to think that most people who emerge from the herd of crypto artists to become some kind of name, some kind of VC backed darling. Like they got here for the right reasons. They came, they entered in here for the right reasons, which maybe was that aesthetic explosion, which maybe was that community. Why would you not feel it as a responsibility to keep that going when the alternatives are all shitty, especially? Yeah, because it doesn't, I, I would imagine because it doesn't feel organic to you, right? Because it mm. actually wasn't organic. It was incredibly orchestrated. I don't think much of like, the the market value is a determinant of like the quality of the work right and that is always the big knock on on this space is that it's like screensaver art and you know and so there's there's valid arguments as we are as to why we are not like conveying and connecting and pushing out uh, further out of this bubble um because in all of its transparency, there is something about it that doesn't sit right, right? And it hasn't sat right for a while. Um, and it, it makes people mad and it makes people frustrated. And it's, you know, incredible soap opera to watch. But when you begin to, like, attach, like, value to this, it, it kind of takes away from the art itself. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And yet we do have, despite the social disdain and despite the like difficulty, the difficulties of existing in the space as a whole, we do have these individuals who emerge from the quagmire, who do achieve something that is bordering on mainstream success. And so I, I, I just, I keep coming back to this point, but like, how do you not have a responsibility or how do you not feel compelled to then embrace this place that bore you that, like you said, like the rest of the world, a lot of it kind of thinks is a joke, making screenscapes, making screensaver art and, I don't know, fuddling around with like Pepe the Frog. You know, I think, I think sociopaths do well online. Perhaps. <laughs> and maybe it's something about artists. Maybe like, you know, you have yeah. to be single-minded to make it as an artist. Yeah, you, you didn't have to before. I don't know. You know, maybe you do. Maybe you do. Maybe the, maybe the rules of engagement have changed. Yeah, I, I guess there's another interesting, I think, way of framing this, which is like, if a single crypto artist survives, you know, what happens to crypto art? Does crypto art exist in the like liminal spaces between artists? I think we've thought about this with Twitter before, right? Like if Twitter goes away and suddenly a communication mechanism between artists goes away, what happens to crypto art? It just becomes a, an ethos without a home. I mean, I think that, you know, I think people have thought the same about Bitcoin, right? What happens if, if the US government bans Bitcoin? Well, then like Bitcoin actually only becomes stronger. I think, I think in all places, uh, all spaces, all like it's art, art, you know, People, people always remember and talk about like art and culture, art and culture, art and culture. I don't know. Well, let me... I have my own. Yeah. Well, you have your own what? I mean, you know, for me, there, there's digital art and there's crypto arts, right? And crypto art rises with crypto, 
you know, and if crypto is on kind of this inevitable path to kind of like, if blockchain is a technology that is going to become as big and as pervasive as the internet, which like in my mind, of course, like undoubtedly, right. There has to be a cultural element and component and the people that like embrace and support and uplift that are going to, but like all of this is only as powerful as the network itself. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you are an individual trying to make a network around you, then you better be putting in like strong, resilient nodes that are going to be alongside you. Well, this uh -huh. is that that point is why like I I kind of rail against this whole like fucking blue sky thing that everyone had their moment with. It's like the network is what's important, but how can you have a network that is also like? Do we want a network that's exclusive? Like, how does that? How how is that helpful to what we're trying to do here? It's a status symbol, but the whole point like we're trying to get rid of these status symbols and we're trying to exist in this liminal space where the art is uplifted and every time there's some like new alternative it requires you to either have some kind of technical competence it requires you to have you know the vetting of another member it's like awesome there's less people here and they're of a more specific breed just by nature right because they're going to be friends of friends of friends of whoever the original is but it's like it's it's like you said artists want their artwork to be seen people want to like feel connect and recognize one another you know and i think there is a uh i'm going to speak from the american experience there's a continued like distrust in your neighbor there is a continue like other against the other in this country and like the safer resilient places are the places that people find online right and it leads to you know sometimes weird communities that form but at the end of the day these are people with like similar problems and angst aggregating in like communal places together um and you know i think people are becoming at the end of the day like either more generally more niche and more interesting and more like connected with access to information and they want to pursue the things that they want to pursue and I still think arts and culture is kind of like one of those highest ultimate pursuits that people aspire to. I totally agree. And, and maybe the, the quote unquote answer is just as simple as finding an equal reason to be, to celebrate that people are seeing your art versus people purchasing your art. Right. So something I've said for ages is that the great innovation of crypto art, it seems to me is in creating like a, financial middle class for artists between superstardom and starving artists. Maybe that's just something that cannot happen in perpetuity. Right. But there is so much like, I, I don't know. And, and maybe it just changes with like actual world economics, right? This is a bad moment for economics everywhere. Yeah, so putting yeah. money in a illiquid asset, which itself is a derivative of a volatile asset in a market, which is super uncertain, you know, if people freak out about like the strength of the US dollar and when that's happening everything's going to going to tighten i can't imagine people in the tr traditional art world are doing a lot better i can't imagine there's a lot of you know art investment in general because it's not where you put your money when things get scary uh, I'm, i mean i'm going to tell you like one of the smartest financial minds that i i know called me last week and he's like we need to like tokenize the museum's collection so people could buy like an equity percentage in this because crypto art is like the ultimate store of value i'm like man you are like way out there first of all we could never do this <laughs> but actually like you are right you are right you know because everything is like funny money make believe 
right? And that was kind of, I think, the basis for this whole thing exploding is that there need to be alternative forms of value and like money and organization considered. And, you know, it wasn't ICOs because there, again, there was not, there was no true substance there. But at the end of the day, somebody producing art is, is valuable, right? The problem is it's, it's about longevity and not like immediacy, right? And, mm. you know, there was art there that kind of like sat for a while, but there is a wide gulf between somebody like, you know, an X copy and a pack and kind of like some of the original like darlings of this space, you know, yeah. like I'll say like Trevor Jones to his credit, still here, still creating, still like engaging, like, mm-hmm. You know, we can we can go kind of like one by one to, to, to giving away open edition or free editions of an artwork. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw that. That's cool. That's that's distribution. That is yeah, and, distribution. And I know? think that's like, what that's what I'm talking about, right? It's like yeah. Trevor Jones has made a crap ton of money here, has a crap ton of influence within this space, right? Like the idea of minting something for free and just saying, "Here, have my art," is kind of wonderful and kind of the whole like ethical foundation that i want to see built right that like success is seen as a thing that can be attained right and uh, and it's not just american but i think it is exemplified by the american ideal that nothing is ever enough your success is just what you can see in front of you and as soon as you attain it well you can see a new kind of success so you always have to keep rushing after it well when people don't reinvest it shows a lack of faith right it shows they don't really believe in themselves they don't really believe in the system Right. That maybe they just like played the game right and that they might be like smarter than everybody else in that moment because they were able to like take this. And I kind of feel that this is like the the 2023 version of capitalism in which everything is an addiction economy. Right. In which systems like globally appear to be failing, in which like inflation is running rampant, in which like every little thing you're kind of taxed on and picked apart. And it just feels like everything is at war with itself right now. Which makes it so much more important that there is a place to see art because regardless of what you feel about the world, like there is a panacea quality to just seeing something as simple as the form of expression that somebody makes. It's why people escape into movies. It's why people escape into books. It's why you and I can escape into Twitter, even though Twitter is a nightmare, you know, conglomerate of horrible politics and all sorts of like foul suffering and find within it this like little cocoon of safety that's just covered in you know glitchy stuff and surreal stuff and colorful stuff and sad stuff and emotional stuff and all of this art right and it's so it feels important to preserve that because it is to an extent like sanity and i i don't know who wouldn't want to see that who wouldn't want their to have more art in their lives um just as a baseline nobody is ever upset when they see more beautiful things and that's what crypto art provides. So why not reinvest? I mean, crypto back in art it? was was the that was the point, right? Crypto art, something that challenges the orthodoxy, right? That's why X Coffee was so successful, right? Because it was painting pictures of this world in like the reverse, right? Like the the what is like the end goal of the news or any of this, right? It's not about pretty pictures. It's about things that challenge conceptions and viewpoints. And get people to reconsider the possibilities of the architecture and the framework, right? So, like, yes, the place is, or the art is a place for people to escape. But at the same time, it should be having some effect, 
right? And it doesn't necessarily need to be like a radicalizing effect, um, you know, as like crypto people are ostracized and painted, but it needs to it needs to help challenge and take people into the idea that like the system is broken and it's not working for everybody. And there has to be a new way of building like networks of value, digital value on the internet and sharing expression. Maybe it's anonymity, man. Maybe it's like, maybe it's like platforms for buying and selling artwork where you can't know the name of the artist and the artist can't know the name of the buyer. And so you're forced into some kind of anonymity. Uh, people, people have tried that. Of course, yeah. All, all Any, sorts of like mystery boxes. Anything that ups the gambling element is no, no, not not upping the gambling. I mean, I guess it would naturally become upping the gambling, but I don't know something that centers the aesthetics. Anyways, we'll uh, we'll keep farting around this topic for the rest of our natural born <laughs> lives. I assume. Um, Undoubtedly. All right, so now to the topic that everybody wants to know about. So oh. there's four basketball teams left my Celtics begin the Western conference. I'm sorry, the Eastern conference finals game against the heat tonight. Your Lakers suffered a devastating loss to the hands of the nuggets of Denver last night. Coborn, are you paying any attention? Do you care? How are you feeling? If uh, so, if not, I watched the last half of the game and you know, I, the, the Lakers were great. Cause you do have to start at this point. You have to start caring. There's just not that many. Yeah, games. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm into it. I'm into it. You know, they're, it's, that's a good team. Lakers are. Because we, you realize that we're like this close to seeing Celtics versus Lakers in the playoffs. And if that happens, <laughs> we're doing a whole basketball episode. I don't know anything about the Heat. I didn't know they were actually any good. They're not they, good. They, are they? suck. They're, they're, <laughs> they're playing amazing. They're playing way better than they should, but they suck. They've still got Jimmy Butler kicking around. I'm going to have to go back and edit this podcast when the Heat inevitably beat the Celtics to right. take that out so the receipts are gone. But well, Yeah, boy, Miami, if you're listening to this. How did Miami get here? They were the eighth seed, huh? Yeah, they're the first play-in tournament team, uh, or I guess one of the first play-in tournament teams along with the, along with the Lakers to make the uh, NBA, fi- or wow. NBA semifinals. And also I think one of like two or three eight seeds since like the 80s to do so. It's pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, I had, no, I had no doubt about the Lakers. I know how, like, LeBron and AD turn up. And they Never filled, doubted they for filled, a second. They filled the gaps nicely. All right, we're going to have more basketball takes next week. I'm going to either be uh, just jubilant or oh, we'll see you. I'll t- we'll see you in the finals, man. I would the Nuggets, love that. The Nuggets got lucky last night. I don't know, man. They're pretty good. But, yeah, nothing would be better than a Lakers-Celtics finals and we could actually yell at each other about basketball <laughs> for, like, 50 minutes instead of a minute and a half at the end here. <laughs> Colbert, anything you want to leave the people with before we get out of here? No, nah, no. Nah. A lot of love. And, and if you made a lot of money, you better buy crypto art. Yeah, buy crypto art or invest in crypto art things. Or or build, build. Go build something. Yeah, or build something. Preferably not a marketplace. Maybe a tool for artists. You can't take the money with you. Right, right. But you can build things that will outlive you. Go, go, go build a meme coin. Go build a meme coin. And tell us first. Uh, <laughs> this has been another episode of uh, Mocha Live with Max and Colborn. It's been a joy being here with all of you, and we'll see you next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. Say bye to the people, Colborn. Bye, people. Bye, people. Bye, people.